This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 34. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 34 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Good afternoon, Randy. Good afternoon, Lynn. Who do we have today? So this afternoon, we are talking with Saba Kidwai. As Director of Innovative Learning at the Keck School of Medicine of the University of Southern California, USC, and an Apple Distinguished Educator, Saba works with faculty to redesign curriculum and support students with developing digital literacy skills. Prior to joining USC, Saba led the Technology Enhanced Curriculum Initiative for grades 6 to 12 at Fairmont Private Schools in Orange County, California in 2010 where she deployed iPads and created professional development for teachers, administrators, and parents. Saba taught a variety of social science courses for eight years and was featured by the Gates Foundation for her use of technology to support students in developing historical thinking skills. Saba loves sharing her experiences and has presented at conferences internationally in Dubai, India, and Cyprus, and the U.S. at the EdTech Teacher iPad Summits. CUE, Serious Play, and others. Saba is a featured writer for iPadEducators.com and author of the Digital DBQ. She holds a master's degree, social science, teaching credential, and a BA in social science from the University of California, Irvine. Welcome to the show, Saba. We're excited to have you here and to talk to you about uh, the mentally wealthy mindsets. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat about this today. So we'll get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Saba, and what you do. 
Um, so you gave me a really nice introduction, <laughs> but I think we've covered everything. So I think what I'd like to do is kind of dive a little bit deeper into what Director of Innovative Learning um, at USC actually means. Um, so while I was leading the technology initiative at Fairmont, my sister was a graduate student at the Keck School of Medicine, and she was studying to become a physician assistant. And when her program decided that they wanted to go one-to-one -one with iPads, I was so incredibly excited because working in K-12, where we have so many conversations, you know, like today about how technology is rapidly changing our world and what that really means for our students, um, you sort of worry a little bit that when they go to higher education, you know, are they sort of going to be going back in time? Um, so I was really excited when I heard um, from her that this is how her program was deciding to sort of move. But when we actually started talking about what it was that she was doing with her device, it was sort of like, oh, you know, I use Dropbox to get my PowerPoints and I'm going onto Blackboard. And it's like, oh my gosh, no, there's like so much more that you can do with this. And so when we were together, we would sort of explore different things, you know, things as simple as like annotating materials on her device to really using it in the clinic for patient education. And ultimately, we worked on her capstone project together, which was a service learning project. And through these different activities, the director of the program, Dr. Kevin Lowe Henry, um, who sort of always had a passion for using technology and teaching, um, but just wasn't really quite sure the direction to kind of go in, um, became really interested in what we had been doing. And so he actually created a brand new position and um, brought me on board. And so what I get to do is on a daily basis, I work with faculty, um, very similar to sort of what we do in K-12. Um, they're an absolutely incredible group, so, so passionate about what they do. But I think most importantly, just really open-minded to new ideas about how to integrate technology into the curriculum, how we can sort of really redesign face-to-face -face time and move away from so much direct instruction. And what's equally as exciting is that the students who I work with are sort of like at a crossroads. You know, they kind of went through a school system thinking the world was one way. You know, they didn't go to school with one-to-one -one or any of these things that we see, yet the world that they're going into is so vastly different. So being able to have those conversations with them, give them those sort of digital literacy skills, um, it's, it's really exciting. Sounds like an exciting career opportunity. <laughs> And it also sounds like there are a lot of similarities between that mm -hmm. context and the K-12 context in which we work in. Uh, and, you know, trying to use that technology in um, the best way possible to promote that deeper learning uh, mm -hmm. with our students. So one of the ways that we connected with you was from a recent EdWeek blog post that we found online called Using Design Thinking to Develop Mindsets of the Mentally Wealthy. And uh, we were quite fascinated with this and reached out to you to make this connection. And uh, so tell us a little bit about what are these mindsets and why is it important for our students, whether they be K-12 or uh, at the post-secondary level, why is it important for our students to master, be masters of of these mindsets in order to have a successful future. So one of the things that I think is really interesting sort of about where we're moving and the things that we're doing with technology is that things are so, so rapidly changing. I mean, you know, you go to some places where we're still trying to talk about what does having a device even mean? And then we look sort of to the, you know, business world where, you know, if we watch like what Facebook was sort of talking about at their meeting a couple of weeks ago um, with virtual reality and chatbots and, you know, um, artificial intelligence, it just seems like the gap is just getting wider and wider and wider between what 
we're doing in schools and what we're seeing there and sort of what's happening in the real world. And so what it sort of really comes down to is I was really intrigued by sort of this word of investment. So the quote that I sort of took this from was um, James Altucher. He wrote a new book called The Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. And he just kept bringing up this concept of investment. And I think in education, we're so interested a lot of times in test scores and what the data says right now, that's sort of like immediate feedback that sometimes I think we neglect the importance of investing in our future and seeing maybe the long-term gains versus short-term. So I've really been intrigued lately by this sort of agile response to businesses that they're kind of doing with what they're doing with technology and just how quickly they're sort of able to respond. Um, and so what resonated with me about what a lot of I was seeing in the business world was this approach called design thinking. And what I really loved about design thinking was that it began with empathy. And empathy is one of the first mindsets that I talked about in the article because you begin to realize that ultimately what we need are people who can be creative problem solvers because we have absolutely no idea what it is that our students are going to face, what different types of environments that they're going to be in, where really the only real valuable skills that we can give them, I think, relate to a lot of these mindsets. And if you're going to be creative problem solver, you want to make sure that your solutions that you're coming up with are not just meaningful, but also really sustainable. And so what I loved about this idea of, you know, empathy is that when we sort of begin with that, um, we're really, I think, challenged by what we learn instead of, you know, what it is that um, we think oftentimes. And so I think people that are able to integrate empathy into what they do and begin with empathy are the ones who I think are going to be able to successfully lead um, not only themselves, but others into a lot of the change that they're going to be experiencing. But what's mm -hmm. sort of interesting is you can't really just stop there, right? Because having ideas isn't really enough. What's more important is that you're able to execute those mm -hmm. ideas. And that's where sort of the second of the mindsets comes in, which is creative confidence. And when you hear the word creative confidence, a lot of times people think like, oh, that means that I must be a great artist or a designer. Um, but what it really means is that you have the confidence to think big. You have the confidence to not only just think big, but you're able to execute that idea because you understand the smaller details I think that it's sort of made up of. And if you read um, Malcolm Gladwell's um, Outliers, where he talks about what makes someone successful and he sort of looks at like, you know, the profiles of Bill Gates and others, he sort of brings it down to like this idea of being at the right place at the right time. And I think one of the most remarkable things that resonated with me when I first got iPads in my classroom was how through that one device, you could kind of make it so that in your little classroom, you could be at the right place at the right time for you and all of your students. Um, so being able to now have that opportunity, if we can give kids the skills to have the creative confidence to know that, hey, I can have this idea. And, you know, if we work together and I have I'm able to put those small details together, really sort of anything is possible. And then that kind of brings us to the next of the mindsets, which is ambiguity. And this kind of comes from the ideation phase of design thinking. Um, once you've sort of defined your problem, once you've sort of defined your problem, um, you're now kind of looking to explore well, what kinds of possibilities might we could be able to come up with to solve whatever it is we've set out to um, look at. And so some of these ideas sound crazy. Some of them seem completely out of reach and some of them are just really, really simple. But the beauty of this is that you're not afraid to put your idea out there, that you're not 
thinking about this is what I'm going to do and this is how we're going to solve it. You're sort of just exploring what's possible and what might work. And it's really kind of through that collaboration that you begin to realize that when you're working with others and you're doing this sort of like, you know, open-ended thinking, um, what you come up with is something sometimes just never something that you might have otherwise thought of. And so once you've kind of now defined what it is that you'd like to go about and solve, the next of the three mindsets kind of work a little bit hand in hand. It's the making, the learning from failure, and the iteration. And really these kind of have to do with, I think, the prototype phase of design thinking. And a lot of times when we hear that word prototype, a lot of times we think that means coding, it means 3D printers. Um, but I think what I really love about this approach and about these mindsets is that it can be applied just to any type of curriculum that it is that you're doing in a traditional classroom. But I think the last of the mindsets is really the most important, and that's optimism. I think if you, I think it's so easy these days to look around you and really, I think, just lose hope with a lot of what's happening. But I think this, optim, being optimistic, I think, is just that driving mindset that you need to embrace in terms of, you know, yes, things are possible just because things don't look good, just because we're being, we're overwhelmed with things, just because things don't seem like they're going in the right direction. Um, there, there are things that we can do. And um, that sort of brings it back to, you know, that creative confidence and the empathy where we've got to work together with people to come up with solutions for the kind of world it is that we want to see. So one of the connections that uh, I know that we're making here is based on our work this year in our school district, where we've been talking to all of our stakeholders, our students, our teachers, our parents, community, about defining a profile of the graduates. So what knowledge, skills, and mindsets do our graduates have to have to be successful in the future? And one of the things that we've been seeing, which is similar to, I think, what you're explaining here in the mindsets, is that um, there seems to be a shift or a or a greater value, while content is important, uh, these skills and mindsets uh, are becoming more valued and, and work within any kind of content. And the fact that we now have digital devices, and in our district, all the students, K through 12, have their own digital device, which allows them access to, you know, the sum of human knowledge, as some people sometimes say. And, you know, while we need to teach them how to access and evaluate and use that information, utilize that information. Uh, it's really that the knowledge, the skills, and, the, and those mindsets, particularly about how to approach that process. And I think that's one of the things that we really connected with uh, in your post and, and what you just explained in terms of all those mindsets. The mindsets transcend the content. It doesn't matter what we're learning. As long as we have these mindsets, we can tackle anything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, one of my favorite books is written um, by Seth Godin, and it's called Lynchpin. But what uh -huh. I love about yeah, I, what I love about these mindsets, and what I love about this idea of design thinking, is that it really makes you value the importance of problem solving on a local level. I think a lot of times when people talk about these kinds of things and problem solving and all this, we think like very large scale, which I think is absolutely fine. But what I loved about what Seth Godin says was, you know, be that linchpin, be that you know, sort of just. Um, invisible person in your organization, school, workplace, home, wherever it is that you are, that works to creatively solve problems because you model so much um, through doing that. So I really sort of, I, those two connections really kind of resonated with me. So one of the ways that we can make this shift in K-12 to examine exemplar learning environments um, 
where there is this mindset focus, right? We have to look at creating these environments and focusing on the attitudes and dispositions in addition to that content and knowledge. Can you share an example or two um, from either K-12 or higher ed where learning is focused on the develop of these development of these mindsets? So one of the things that I think is really interesting about this is a lot of times when we talk to people about, I think just with anything related to technology or maybe even anything related that's new, um, people always sort of have this thing, well, they could do it because they were this, or well, they were able to do it because they had that. And so what I would love to be able to do is sort of share an example from each of the areas just to show how people are beginning to change things and beginning to integrate these mindsets within their traditional curriculums. So I'm going to start with one of my most favorite groups, and that is um, um, teachers from the Design 39 campus in San Diego. So I was in a workshop and this workshop was led by these two teachers, um, Stacy Lamb and Kelly Eveleff. And they shared an example from their first grade classroom where all they did was take a children's storybook. And I think it's so important to just think about that for a moment because think about how many of us read with our children at home, read with them in school, but the approach that they took is really where the shift came into place. So they're reading this book together called Catch That Rat, you know, and it's sort of like that typical children's storybook where like there's this like evil monster or this little rat that's like, you know, causing all this like uproar in the town, like grandma's trying to catch the rat, little, little girl's trying to catch the rat, mailman's trying to catch the rat. Um, so they're reading this book about this. And but before they even begin reading, what they ask the students to do is be aware of how are the characters feeling? What are they saying and what are they doing? So they take this entire design thinking approach and they use that to frame the reading of the book. And I think it's just such an incredible thing to do because at such a young age, they're teaching these kids to look at characters. And you know, ultimately you hope that, that would translate into the real world and be cognizant of how are people feeling? What are they saying? What are they doing? And what does that actually mean? How can we look at something instead of just looking at something from grandma's eyes or the mailman eyes let's look at this from the perspective of the rat you know this sort of like evil character in the book um, and I loved it because again it was a simple activity that they did and they just changed the words that they were using and the approach that they used to read the book together to be able to get kids to creatively problem solve. And so once the kids are done reading the book, they kind of go through the design thinking steps. And ultimately what they do is they sort of identify a problem in the story and they create a solution for that character. So a while ago, I had a really, really, really great conversation with Dr. Richard Weiner. I hope I said his name correctly, um, but he's the director of curriculum for the Ramsey Public Schools. And he was telling me about, you know, very similarly to what, you know, you guys are talking about doing in your schools, what we're trying to do at USC is look at, you know, what kind of skills do these students need? And so he sort of, again, gravitated to this design thinking approach. And what he ended up doing was he partnered with this company called All Things Media, and they're a digital development agency. Um, in New Jersey. And what they did was basically partnered with the Liberty Science Center. And the Liberty Science Center was sort of interested in, I think their target group is really more like elementary students are who come to the Science Center, but they were really interested in bringing more high school students in. And so they were kind of debating with this, you know, All Things Media, how are we going to market more to high school students? And so what um, All Things Media did was they teamed up with the Ramsey Public Schools and he managed to bring in a group group of junior um, and senior high school students to basically pitch their ideas and design a way 
for the Liberty Science Center to be able to create experiences that would target and that would be exciting for high school students. But what was so interesting about our conversation was he was telling me how so many of the students were just very sort of like, um, sort of like an awe of this idea, like, oh, really, they want to hear from us? Um, really? You really think they're going to take our ideas? And he was like, yeah, they are. And he just said that that whole experience was so motivating for the students and so empowering for them that, you know, in the end, they began unveiling all these concepts from everything from like teen friendly type apps to like pop culture related virtual reality experiences that had like this educational focus. And they basically left and were just so excited at the possibility that their ideas, you know, these high school students ideas would actually be featured by the Liberty Science Center. So I love that example because I think so many students don't even realize how much value they can bring or how many things are really possible for them, sort of going back to that creative confidence idea. And I think when we bring these opportunities in the school and we can model this and we can show them firsthand, I think it's just, I think it can just be so transformative for um, any person, adult or child. So at the University of Southern California, where I am, during our first semester with our physician-assisted students, we do something called a windshield survey. And the windshield survey is designed to help students um, develop empathy for the communities that they're going to be working with. USC has a huge focus towards having our students work in primary care and working with underserved communities. And typically, the way this assignment used to work was the kids would be assigned a city in Los Angeles, and they would do a research paper. Now, they were supposed to go out there and, you know, talk to people. But let's be real, in the age um, of Google, um, we can very easily go online and learn everything it is that we were really asking them to do in this paper. And so when working with this professor and what we ultimately really kind of came down to was we just really wanted students to be able to connect with people in the community. And so what we ended up doing instead is we said, OK, instead of doing a research paper, we're going to ask you to do a five minute documentary. So before you even think about what it is you want to share and what it is you want to do, we're going to use the design thinking approach. We want you to go out there and begin with that empathy piece. Interview people, talk to people, observe what's happening and what's going on. And once you've done that empathy piece, we want you to come back and identify the top five characteristics that you thought were the most important. So there's typically 13 indicators that the students get, like education, safety, recreational facilities, and whatnot. And instead of covering all of these, we wanted them to tie the top five together with a central theme and basically give a voice to people who oftentimes don't have one. How are these different elements going to impact the healthcare that they're going to receive? So it was just absolutely incredible. Um, a lot of them had no idea what it was they were gonna share, what it was they were gonna do. And what was so incredible to me was when I, you know, we, they have iPads, but they actually ended up doing it all mostly on their iPhones, um, which I thought was just really, really sort of remarkable. Um, but what was really interesting were the conversations that generated as they were going through this like ideation, sort of this different phase where they were really trying to define what the problem, what the theme was. So instead of just talking about those 13 elements as sort of individual pieces, um, one of the big themes that emerged was gentrification and the impact that that was having um, and how those different elements connected to the theme of gentrification. And they sort of told the story from that angle. Um, but what was really, really interesting and what happened just really organically was that every single video ended with a problem statement. Who needs what? 
because why? And I thought that was just the most beautiful thing because that wasn't assigned to them. They were just assigned to go out there and learn about this community and come back and tell us what they had found. And the fact that they organically came back with problem statements to me just was so incredible because they came back with optimism. They saw all of these things that were happening. They saw the impact gentrification was having on low-income communities, but they came back with optimism about what they as healthcare providers would be able to do to address the issues that they had highlighted. So Mm -hmm. I think as educators, by having empathy for students, especially at the higher ed level who struggle with technology, um, you know, we hear so much about how digital devices are bad for students, about how they should be banned in schools. But I think when we step back and educators have empathy, no, it's so true. You know, like look at that article that keeps getting circulated. The pen is mightier than the keyboard. You know, um, students need to go back to pen and paper. And the reality is, as educators, we need to have empathy. We need to realize these are 25, 26, 27 year olds who have never experienced what learning looks like in the digital age. And so we really sort of just have that choice to make. You know, we can either support them and we can help them and we can transition them from being consumers to being creators or we can sit here and complain and wish that we could go back in time (laughs) (laughs) we don't want to we definitely don't want to go back in time no we don't (laughs) so these examples are so interesting and each of your examples uh, illuminates something that we've been thinking about in terms of developing um, our profile of a graduate in that last example you just shared with the idea that students organically came back with a problem statement really solidifies this idea that our learners need to um, be able to identify a a challenge or a problem and then start to think about how to address that in whichever capacity that is. So that's a really great example to to share, you know, how, how that actually happens and why that's so important. So I find the examples really fascinating. And, and from a practitioner standpoint, specifically in K-12, too, uh, examples like this really help us because sometimes these things can seem theoretical. But if we actually see examples, we can ask the question of why not? Why not us? Why can't we move in this direction? And how will we move in this direction? So that leads to the next question of uh If our listeners are teachers or leaders, whether they're in K-12 or higher education, and I want to start tomorrow down this road, um, what do I need to begin to develop and strengthen these mindsets in myself as a teacher or a leader so that I can model uh, and be a mentor to our students? What would be some first steps right out of the gate that we could take to develop these mindsets? So this year, um, with EdTech Teacher, um, we started doing design thinking workshops in education. And one of the first activities that we do with teachers, because I think it really begins with sort of doing this yourself for your own um, sort of professional development, is um, the design, there's a workbook that's just really incredible from um, IDEO, I believe, called the Design Thinking Workbook for Educators. And it has this like opening activity where it asks you to just list your dreams and your gripes. So what things would you dream of? Like what things would you wish were possible like in your job or in whatever it is that you're sort of focusing on? And then what are all your complaints? What are all the things that you wish you could change? Sort of all your gripes that are there. And when you begin sort of just, you know, with this open-ended thinking without sort of any set agenda in mind, you kind of begin to circle back and look at, okay, this is what 
is going on. These are the things that are going really well, and these are the things that are not going so well. And what's more interesting is when you do it together as a group, you begin to notice that there are common themes that begin to emerge. And so one of the things that I think people should do is sort of like a first step is make that list for yourself. Get together with your department, get together with you know your school, whatever it is that you want to do, and make that list and look for those themes that are there. And instead of saying like, I can't, or but this, or instead of putting obstacles in your way, change the words, right? Like sort of like what Stacy and Kelly did with their students, just by changing our approach to how we see, read, or do things, we're able to approach things from a different way. So instead of um, saying like, well, I can't do this, change those sentences into problem statements. How might we do this? And when you begin with how might we, you sort of open a door now to the fact that there are possibilities out there, that we're going to begin with optimism, that there is a way to begin solving this. And so I think, you know, if we allow teachers to sort of go through this process and we give them the time to do this, I think ultimately they'll be able to translate that into their own interactions and how they approach um, the curriculum with their students. So I'm thinking about... um this idea that you're basically moving away from I can't or it won't work to how might we and and you're right and, and this mindset can help us foster innovation um, what other suggestions do you have for how we can begin to build this culture of innovation in a system that's so regulated like k-12 um, you know in addition to starting to ask these questions yeah, so you know what's so interesting to me about the Design 39 campus, um, what really struck me was that they are a, um, they're, they're a common core school. Um, it's not like they're completely independent. They follow the Common Core curriculum, yet it's just, like I said, their approach and their outlook and really their optimism towards what's possible that allows them to kind of move in this direction. So that's what I would say is sort of really key is just optimism that, yes, we've got traditional structures. But if you look at it, that is the reality of the world. I mean, to think that you're going to be in a situation where your circumstances are going to be so perfect um, that, you know, you're just going to be able to, you know, go along with your solutions like um, really easily, I think is sort of... Um, I think it's setting you up for failure a little bit. And I think when we look at K-12, I think if we look at it in the same way that, yeah, there's obstacles that we need to overcome, but we're going to be optimistic about what it is. And I think one of the key things that we need is more empathy. I think, you know, from like, whether it's administrators working with teachers, teachers towards teachers, students to teachers, teachers to students, really whatever sort of the um, relationship is, I think when you again begin with empathy, I think you just really begin to identify where the gaps exist because it's those gaps that you identify that become those opportunities for design. Um, and I think you have to support people in moving in this direction. Like one of the key things about design thinking is that it's really about iteration. And the beauty of that is that you know that the first time you do something, it's not gonna be perfect. And so the fact that that is sort of already in the mindset, I think opens the door for being a little bit more of a risk taker. Um, and that's sort of, I think, a really critical component of the entire process. And then, you know, on top of that, being advocates, you know, having these store, having these stories being shared, people who are able to sort of overcome a challenge or people who are able to move in a certain direction. I think being able to share your story is so, so, so powerful because that's how the rest of us are going to learn. Mm -hmm. like, That's a great point. <laughs> and I like this idea of, of focusing on empathy, too, because I think if we want to foster these changes in education, which are pretty significant, you know, right. lots of heavy lifting, um, we have to make sure that people feel like they can do this. And uh, the best way that we as leaders, I think, can do that is to, to show that empathy and to develop that sense of empathy and understand from their perspective um, what that's like and what that's going to be like. So I like that, that emphasis. 
Yeah, because I think, you know, one of the things that I love about it and I love, you know, watching our students engage in this or, you know, if I'm doing a workshop watching teachers is it's the conversations. And I think it's really rare that we sit, you know, in a meeting and just have a conversation about things that are happening. I think there's so many agendas and bullet points and everything in our world that when you take a step back and you just ask people, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, how do you do this? Or, you know, what are you struggling with? What works well for you? Um, The things we learn from one another I think are really the most powerful learning experiences. And I think being in K-12, especially the public sector, which is, as we said earlier, highly regulated, um, we oftentimes don't make the time or the space to have those conversations. And they have to be there if we actually want to change things and move forward. Because without those conversations, it's just going to be top down and people will be resentful and it's not, it's going to be messy and ugly. Uh, And so making, making that time for those conversations is, is very important as leaders, especially. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And I think especially because I think the last 10 years, you know, with no child left behind and all these other sort of top down things that, you know, we've had to experience in K-12. I mean, I, when I first started teaching um, three months later is when the recession hit. I mean, you put No Child Left Behind together with the layoffs and budget cuts and all these other sort of things we've had to experience over the last 10 years. Um, I think it's just, that's why I think it's just so crucial to begin with empathy, because I think people have just been through so much um, that if we don't stop to really think about how people are feeling and, you know, what's really sort of led to the state of where we are today, um, it becomes difficult to really then um, optimistically move forward. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, yeah. and, and we've definitely learned a lot from you, and I have very much enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. So, Me too. So we like to end each interview um, asking everybody sort of where you are right now. What kinds of things are you thinking about in addition to what you shared here today, and you know, what's inspiring you? Okay, so I would say that one of the things that I've really been doing lately is just reading so many books from um, the business side. Um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, Seth Godin, um, Tim Ferriss. I think these people are so fascinating and watching what they do, how they, so just the things that they're talking about. I think there's just so much correlation between what we're talking about in K-12. And so one of the things that I'm sort of really kind of interested in is just how powerful storytelling can be. I think it's the one constant throughout human history that everyone can sort of engage with and that everyone can really, that just sort of resonates with everyone. So the one thing I'm really fascinated with right now is Snapchat. Because one of the things that I'm curious about is how we as educators can capitalize on live video to enhance how we tell the stories of our schools. I just I just can't emphasize this enough how important it is for us to be getting our positive stories out there. There's too much, I think, of a negative um, sort of an outlook as to what's happening in K-12 with too much of a focus on the problems and not enough on the great things that are happening. I mean, just my job this that I have that, you know, was created um, came from watching what was happening at a K-12 school. Um, and so I think that, you know, being able to kind of explore things like Snapchat, Facebook Live, you know, Instagram. Instagram's new 60-second video um, could be really transformative for, I think, a lot of K-12 teachers. I think there's a huge gap between how organizations are operating, what we're seeing in higher education, yet there is progress being made. And I think if in K-12 we can get more of our stories out there and we can connect more with organizations and connect more with higher ed, um, I think K-12 teachers are the ones who are going to be leading us um, in the future and helping these organizations figure out how to deal with this new generation um, Hmm. of individuals. I love that thinking because I think in K-12, we, we tend to run solo 
a lot of the time. And uh, how do we use these technologies to make this a, a grander effort? How do we bring in as many uh, interests and stakeholders as possible to tell that story uh, and to be part of that story, too? Mm-hmm. I think that's really a fascinating uh, uh, piece that you've thrown out there and very interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Saba. This conversation has been in incredibly inspiring and um, certainly makes me and I'm sure Randy feel very optimistic (laughs) about the future and the work that we're doing right now. Um, To learn more about Saba's work, you can visit her website, askmizq.com. Follow her on Twitter at askmizq. Also, there are some different items linked in the show notes, four ways to create a culture and innovation and using design thinking to develop mindsets of the mentally wealthy. We added the examples and resources uh, shared by Saba, Design 39 Campus. Can't wait to take a look at that and several other resources, as well as the Design Thinking Workbook for Teachers. Thank you so much for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed um, my conversation with you guys. And I'm really interested to learn more about this um, new profile that you're creating for what um, students um, need to have as they graduate. Wonderful. Well, we'll have to share that with you. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's question, how is your organization focused on developing the mindsets of the wealthy? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 2, Episode 34. We'd love for you to rate the show in iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one- or two-sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Saba. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.